This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today is a very special episode here on Anatomy of Movie. We are doing our 400th episode, and we bring it full circle because we're doing Pacific Rim Uprising. Ironically enough, the first anatomy of a movie ever was Pacific Rim, so it's very near and dear to our hearts. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right. Celebrating our 400th, we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. We have Dimitri Panos. Yay, 400. Hey, movie fans. (laughs) And I'm Phil Svitek, and it's Pacific Rim Uprising. So much to talk about. So much to dissect, and if you haven't uh, seen it yet, we just did an interview with Nick Tarabay, who's also in this movie and a lot of other great projects, so if you're curious for, from, for that perspective, definitely check it out. A couple things out of the gate, if you're joining us for the very first time, where were you the 399 other times? Right. It's okay. You got started late. Um, hopefully you'll join us in the future for movies that you see. If you're rejoining us, well, welcome back. Good to good to always have you. We are spoiler-filled in the sense that we assume you've seen the movie. We're going to talk about various major plot lines. We're going to talk about the behind-the-scenes aspects. And basically, everything is there is to making a movie. The promotion, the box office, and so forth. It's not your average critic review show. And last but not least... If you want to follow along, if you want to get all the details, all you have to do is go into the description box. There's a PDF link. You click that. You get all of our research all in one place. So that way you can just see it all there for yourself. Without further ado, though, let's get into overall thoughts for Pacific Rim. Marissa, kick us off. Well, this was a fun movie, and like much to all of us, we we really liked the first one, so I went into the second one with the high expectations as well. It was still fun. It was entertainment, popcorn talk. There was good moments of drama, good moments of levity, good action throughout. Um, overall, it was it was a fun, entertaining movie, and I liked it. Awesome. Dimitri? Well, first, I just want to say thanks, folks. I mean, 400 episodes... That's that's a lot of movie watching. And starting off with the original Pacific Rim, I mean, I remember that day um, and being invited to come on board. So uh, thanks. Thanks to you, our audience. Uh, it's been an amazing 400. So uh, to 400 and plus more. <laughs> to infinity and beyond, as yes, some, some character says. Um, so going back to Pacific Rim, the original... Uh, you know, that was Guillermo del Toro's, like, homage and, and love. He was showing his love for those monster movies, the kaiju movies. Uh, Godzilla, Mothra, Gamera, and such. And it was all up on screen. And I think, you know, you had Idris Elba. It, it, it had a lot of heart to it, right? Because of his love of watching these B-movies. And so going into Pacific Uprising, I'm watching this going... Wow, they just made the movie that Guillermo del Toro would go watch that inspired him to make Pacific Rim. If that makes any sense at all. And because it it was that B movie um with its you know with its twisting plot lines and you know zany character takeovers uh which we can go into more and it had more Jaegers, more kaiju uh, it was just like watching, like, you see a movie like Godzilla, and you go, okay, Godzilla or King Kong, that's a great movie. And then all the sequels after it are cheesy, fun B-movies. That's what I looked at Pacific uh, Rim Uprising, was that cheesy, fun B-movie uh, that I had a really good time. It never overstayed its welcome. Uh, the special effects were fun. The characters were fun. Uh, John Boyega is great, but I also love the little girl. She was fantastic uh, in this movie as well. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, I, I had a good time. So it was fun. That's always important. You know? I echo everyone's sentiment, and 
for the most part, I'm not. I, I'm not <clears throat> understanding why it doesn't have a higher IMDb score. I don't get it. I think I, people are, in particular, nitpicking too many things. I think uh, it, it holds up. And one of the things I appreciate about it, it didn't try to re-explain. It just took the concepts of the first one and built upon them, and 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 made it fun. It, 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 one of the things I will. The only misstep I have that I think didn't work with this movie was the promotions early on. I wasn't – I was kind of questioning, wait, did I really love Pacific Rim based on this? Is, what, is this is this just another Transformers movie? And so in seeing it, I'm like, oh, no, this is not Transformers at all. I very much appreciate it and had the trailers been a little bit better, I would have even been more excited to see it. And so there's my – Thing to you if you have yet to see this movie and if maybe you are turned off by the trailers don't be because it's i promise you it's not transformers yeah i i agree with you and i, I mean again you know, i've really got not a whole hell of a lot against transformers movies but they made this movie <laughs> well they made this movie look like a transformer movie and i do agree with you like they didn't have to um so i don't understand the decision behind that because they didn't they didn't. They didn't promote the first Pacific Rim movie that way, but this one for sure looked like, from a trailer standpoint, it just looked like a Transformer knockoff. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say necessarily knockoff, but I can I can understand why you say that. I, I got a lot of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers feel into this movie as well. Awesome, awesome, fun show. Uh, but what I think is like the tone of this movie is completely different from the first one. The first one, and I rewatched the trailer actually for the original Pacific Rim, it was more darker, it was more dramatic. And this one is like the clear opposite of what the first one is, just in tone wise. It's right. lighter, it's funnier, everything takes place during the day. So it dramatically has a different feel than the first one, even though the concepts are still the same. Mm-hmm. Well, Guillermo de Toro, he was originally wanted to do a sequel and so forth and then a couple of things happened uh, legendary was sold off to a uh, chinese group the wanda group mm-hmm. and furthermore he had a little passion project that he wanted to do which was the shape of water and so the combination therein caused it to be as such that we got somebody else now through a very as i understand a very rigorous process and you would imagine that it wouldn't be because the the love that del toro put into the first one he wanted to find an heir apparent to him for these movies and it turns out steven steven denight ended up being that man uh i mean as far as his claim to fame as it literally says in our notes all of marissa's shows <laughs> yes <Whether it's- laughs> well, like but the vampire slayer angel smallville two of those are my top favorite shows buffy and smallville are amazing but like and he has a lot of work in in television and spartacus as well so like he knows sci-fi he knows good action slash humor slash drama you know like he's very familiar with those genres so it just makes he took his television background and experience and just transformed it pun intended onto the big screen in, in a bigger production such as this one absolutely and i think overall it worked well uh i appreciated his approach where they spent two weeks almost like in a writer's room and the cool part being half was TV writers, half was film writers, and I think that created a good blend of things because one of the things we talk about is when it comes to writing these days, it's if for movies, because TV's so amazing and so forth, they've kind of stolen all the writers' rooms in a sense, and now it's a singular person writing movies, and I think that does a disservice to the movie. You know, all the great movies in the past had <clears throat> writers' rooms. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah, and the other thing, too, you, you mentioned TV. Um, within the past, let's say, 10 years, something something crazy has happened to TV where it became very serialized. Where, you know, where before individual episodes, like, you know, TV stood on individual episodes, right? Um, and it wasn't until, like, even when you look at the original Star Trek in Star Trek The Next Generation... Each episode, there are some episodes that were two-parters that led into each other, but very singular episodes. Even your sitcoms were very individual episodes. And it was shows like Babylon 5, which started to serialize. And then, of course, Lost, 
really became very entrenched and you had to watch this episode to get the next episode because they went mm-hmm. right into each other. So the writers' rooms for television have become huge because they have a through line. They have like an, an, an A to B to C that they have to get to and figure out how to get to it. And you're right, Phil, I agree. I think that because of that, you know, you're writing a movie is very different. Uh, I always say it should be approached by write one good movie. And if that movie takes off, then you start thinking about your sequel. Um, but the the danger is, is that a lot of studios are just looking for the next cinematic universe and the F word, uh, which I'm saying franchise. So they're, they're not thinking of trying to do a one-off uh, and then make it succeed. They try to, you know, we need to meet 10 of these so that's what we're thinking. So they're trying to bring that serialization concept to, to, to cinema. And there's always been sequels. Let's not, you know, kid ourselves. But they're not trying to focus on making one real good so that, that we can have sequels to follow it. Um, and in, you're right. They should have bigger writer room, writing rooms for that. But Stephen DeKnight knows how to do this. And uh, he loves the genre. And you can tell. Absolutely. You can tell watching Pacific Rim Uprising. He had a lot of fun. Also, the good thing about this movie, it does feel very self-contained. It is like one, essentially one long episode. And 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 even the characters, they did a good job of developing uh, them a little bit. And they're new. They had some backstories. And you can see the times that they interacted with each other and eventually building that chemistry that usually would take years in a television show. But they did it in, a, in enough amount of time to get to our, you know, climactic action scenes in the end, where everyone starts working together. Right. And that was a big point of his. Whereas before, you had the different factions of of the world. This time, he wanted to the the fighting core really be a global phenomenon in essence, mm-hmm. and the best of the best. Whether you're you're American, English, Chinese. South American doesn't really matter as long as you're a good fighter and and you're compatible, <laughs> which is a, a big component from the first and, and even now, um, then it works, right? Is, and all in all, if you really think about the, the amount of stuff they managed to put into this movie is quite incredible and still, uh, overall, less than two hours. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I could see movies like of, of that caliber going for two and a half, and you know, feeling too too long. But the what I appreciated was all masked under this action, mm-hmm. and and the action drove the emotion, and vice versa. Right. I, I really appreciated that right from the beginning. We're we're put into this world, and you know where. So let, let, let's use this as a jumping off point, right? It's also the beginning of the movie. So it works out well. A lot of whether Marvel movies and DC movies, they've kind of tried to speak to now the actual real life damage of superheroes or whatever you want to call it, and they try to address that. Well, what I appreciate about this movie is it does it in a far more humane way of like, wow, this is how we're living. We're living in this filth. This is the actual. Um, this is actually the result of everything that has happened with the kaiju and and the Jaegers and yeah the place is a, a crap hole yeah the aftermath and yeah. it's taken us this long to rebuild so, um, so it, it, it did a good job of world building it and where it's sure. set 10 years after the fact so and, and above and beyond that too it isn't just like the architecture it isn't just like the buildings and the cities and such it's the characters you know we have Boyega's character as being the son of Idris Alba, who's left in this disenfranchised world that has to rebuild um, and and uh, who has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. You know, so so from that, too, it's there's a character building to, to introduce this new character. And how is this person getting along in this this, this post kaiju world, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and even his character, you know, being the the son of an already authoritative commander that, like, did so much for the first film, and yet we, we only got a reference to him 
and you know, and Idris Elba did a great job playing, you know, his role. But uh, like, and, and we've seen that trope before, always being the son of like <laughs> a famous commander or a famous leader, or whatever. Um, but I did like John Boyega's character of Pentecost because he was fun. He had moments of uh, humor, mm-hmm. but then also there was some like dramatic, slight backstory. But he was still super likable throughout the entire film. Absolutely. You, yeah. It's like you can follow him as a protagonist in this movie. Absolutely. Uh, I want to give you a quick moment to explain what Pentecost really means because it's quite symbolic of what you just described. It is. It is. Uh, so, and this is very true to our very first Pacific uh-huh. Rim where I'm talking about the symbolism. But Pentecost, there is a religious term, Pentecost. It's the, the Christian festival celebrating the descent of the Holy Spirit uh, on the disciples of Jesus after his ascensions, which is seven days after Easter, which in real time is actually coming up pretty soon um, for us at the time we're d- dissecting this movie in the year. How but serendipitous. Very, very serendipitous. serendipitous. <laughs> but the, just the meaning of Pentecost is like that second rebirth. Um, so symbolism to to Jake. Like right. he, he was already there at one point. He left, and this is his quote-unquote second chance at redeeming himself. Whereas Pentecost, just the meaning is like that second descent upon something to to like better enhance the right. world. So I, I found that actually, you know, very interesting and symbolic. Yeah, but, I did too. And what what I appreciate there's this tension of we still have to keep training. We have the academy, which we don't see a little bit till later, but also there's this feeling like okay, we're, we're done with the. We're done with the kaiju. We've we've closed off the gap essentially, and so it's it, it, you're kind of always in that weird bubble of like, are we safe? Are we not? And I appreciated that there was that tension and and the different politics that went into all of it. It felt because of the characterizations of of having so many people represented, it was a very good political viewpoint sure. from everyone's perspective, and I appreciated that. Yeah, and it was also about like you know corporations coming in. You know, and 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 setting setting the rule or setting. I mean, there was a lot of themes. You had corporations coming in who wanted to who wanted to take the Jaegers out of the human mix and and do it all radio remote control, basically, mm-hmm. um, because they think it would be more efficient that way. Uh, so you had that politic going on. Uh, are we safe? Do we still need the Jaeger program? so to speak, and have it beefed up. So these are all fun topics and themes uh, that that can help carry a sci-fi movie um, of this ilk. And I think that they, I think that they did a really decent job of it. And I like the characters. Again, you know, Boyega's character living, he, he was a teacher. He was in that base, but he just couldn't live up to his dad's, he couldn't live under that shadow, and so you understood why he left. Um, but you also, the way he portrayed him is that he sort of kind of misses it. He knew that he could, he needs, he needed somebody to tell him that he could do good, and that he would be great at it. And it was that it was his that was his journey, so to speak. Well, part of it, part of the whole thing is that underscores that you have to be compatible with somebody and. He could have been compatible with a number of people, whether uh, Eastwood's character or whether Amara, but it was more so the fact that he, for a long time, he felt like a lone wolf. Right. And you, you cannot be a lone wolf when it comes to a Jaeger. You just can't, by definition. You have to be compatible with at least one person, let alone three on this, this or two others on the very special one that has three operators. Right. So. I, I I appreciated that about him and, and his search for that uh, and sort of reconciling with the notion that, yeah, you know what, this is something that I can be good at and that there is a, in a sense, there's a balance to it where I think he realized just the truce he made with um, with Lambert of like, hey, you go, you do the buy the books and I'll back you up type right. of thing. And so at least, the, you know, they got to that middle ground in the middle of the movie. 
Yeah. yeah, and I'm glad it didn't take them the entire movie to finally get along. Oh, you and me Be- both. Yeah, because that could have been forever. Where it's like just, just get to it. Tiring. You know? Yeah, it's just like, and we've also seen that in so many movies and television shows where it takes the two main characters that you know have to work together a long time to finally get to right. that middle ground. Um, I'm glad they <laughs> resolved that pretty quickly because they, you can tell that they were friends at one point, that they did respect each other. Even when they didn't like each other in the movie, like you can tell they still respected each other and their duties and what they had to offer to to the students and um, just to the program in general. But like they were also fun banter back yeah. and forth too. Agreed. And it's like, and you'd like to think that you're supposed to hate Nate Lambert just because he's the sterner, you know, you're more stricter, authoritative figure. But no, I mean, he's just doing his job too. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think about the love triangle? When it came to them, I mean, that was, if anything, that was the weird. thing that I felt was a little shoehorned in there. But right. it was very totally not necessary because they didn't even really, you know, like see that storyline through. So why even put it in? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, you know, that that uh, she was going to end up with with Nate, Nate. But it was, I agree, it was sort of kind of shoehorned in, and it didn't need to. It didn't need to be. I mean, it's not like there weren't. If they wanted to saddle up uh, Jake with somebody, I mean, it could have been somebody else if they wanted to do a romantic thing, but it wasn't really necessary. But I'm surprised you you say that it was... Because I felt there was this initial feeling that Nate was going to be the one to end up with her. But just the way she kisses both of them at the end, she kisses them both exactly the same. It would have been one thing if she kind of kissed them on the cheek and then just laid one on Nate, and it's like, okay... Got it. Okay. End of joke. Mm-hmm. But, it, but yeah. But it ultimately didn't go anywhere, so no. it's like, why even put it in? Maybe for a good laugh, but it's already forgettable. Yeah. And she wasn't a bad character, Jules. I mean, I liked her as a character, like, alone, um, what she can contribute. But, uh, yeah, that it was just... I would have liked to see her contribute more, like take those moments out and instead have her contributing more so. And even, you know, if you want to go cliche, that's fine, too, in the (laughs) sense of, hey, Nate, Jake, just start getting along. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Grow up. Yeah. You know, and she could be that. But you kind of had that in a sense with the sister, right, Um, with, with Jake's sister and that love that, that they had for each other right right mm-hmm. uh if they're you know all, all out of all the sh- strong moments in the movie i thought that in particular that bond and then the way they try to save her and the way that that action sequence goes it's australia right in australia yeah the way it goes i, I thought that was very powerful both emotionally and action wise scene I- I mean, like, I completely agree. And also, it was just a pivotal scene, too, that helped get Jake off of his ass, essentially. Mm-hmm. And him to finally take this role seriously is like, no, I came back for a purpose and is to help save everybody because I couldn't save my sister, but I can help save the world. It, like, it gave him that motivation, unfortunately. Sometimes you need that, that tragic thing in your life that gives you motivation to do something good. And I felt like that was the moment that really got Jake to be like, all right, I'm in it. Yeah, I actually like that brother-sister dynamic that they built. Um, And I'm a big fan of that Rinko Kikuchi. I I said that from the first Pacific Rim. I'm a very attractive woman, and she was great. I was bummed. I I was like, no, come on. They're not going to kill her off. I was like, like, she has more to do. She has more to do. She's a really good character. I really like her. Um... So and I, and I liked how they they shot that as well, trying to catch the the, the helicopter, um, it, you know, doing his best to save. And once that crashed, it was like, oh nope, nope, you don't, you can't walk out of that one. And I really did. I was like, oh, I'm bummed because I I really enjoyed that character a lot from the first one because she had so much. When you learn her backstory. And how she was saved by Idris Alba's and and and, and, essentially, and effectively becoming the half sister of, of of Jake, you could see that they're really that they really did care for each other as characters in any case uh, in in uprising. And I was sort of kind of hoping that that bond would last, but 
obviously you wanted the relationship too with Amara. Well, you, the you consolation it? prize, you know, she she did have more to do. Her last final act was <clears throat> in in sending them the information that they needed to to move forward. So there was that consolation. However, I don't disagree with you for the simple fact, uh, you know, up until like I I, I appreciate it as her her character, and maybe this is me being shallow, but like the other female character that was Asian that we had at the moment was just being made out to be pure evil. Yeah, right. And so I just needed a counterbalance in, of those sorts to be like, okay, I I can't take you at the moment, and if this is what I'm left with, I don't like it. Which leads to a greater point. What did you guys think of that? I don't want to call it a bait and switch, but in essence, they kind of played this hand of isn't she evil? Isn't she evil? And then, boom, Charlie Day's character is actually the one that screwed her over. Yeah, well, I found it very, again, it just goes to that corporation. You, you thought that she was this corporation takeover kind of person. You did think that she was evil because she's. Head of a corporation, and she knew all the information that the audience didn't know. Correct. You knew something was up. She she was doing something corrupt. Right. And I think as the movie goes along, she has that self realization of, oh, "I need to get into this fight. I'm going to help to do whatever I can." And I, I sort of liked her character change. My you know my pet peeve in the movie was the Charlie Day character i mean that's that's b-movie schlock like right there yeah. you know I'm, I'm i've I've been taken over by the the overlords and you know that's like almost like right out of howard the duck <laughs> and i'm gonna take over the world and uh, and you can't stop me and you know he's trying to fight and that to me was like uh Okay, this is the B movie schlock part of this movie, and but I, but I yeah, understood it more. Uh, sorry, I'm not, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. go to you in one second, Marissa. I I understood it more rather than just reopening the gap and just oh. And I get that, but th- that's the thing. Like they still ended up reopening the gap, even mm. if it was for a couple seconds. My problem is Charlie Day was my biggest problem with the first one his character was so over the top and just so ridiculously out there you're like just shut the f up um and he was he was annoying and like and i get he was the comedic character in the first one he's still the comedic character in this one but his character was you can't take him seriously and so when they made him the quote-unquote bad guy i still couldn't take him seriously um and like he every time he had like a, a demand for like let's Get this guy even bigger, you know? Like, right. every time he did something, quote-unquote, nefarious, I couldn't take him seriously. So, like, I didn't see him as that crazy evil lord that we've seen in a lot of movies. Sure. Only because his character was already set up as the comedic character. Yeah. Well, that, that to me was the funny part, because at first, when he's just getting his rocks off from the brain, I was like, wait, what? Uh, yeah. Excuse me? What the hell is going on? Yeah. And and then I'm like, oh, okay, it makes sense. You're you're out of your goddamn mind. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it pieced together well enough for me. And because he is a comedic actor, and the character is supposed to be maniacal, I, I just went for it. Yeah, yeah. I was I mean, okay with I, it. I mean, I like again what I liked in the first one. Like I didn't mind. Uh, Charlie Day, because he got with Burn Gorman. So we had Dr. Herman Gottlieb and Dr. Newton Geisler, or Geisler, Geisler. Yeah. Uh, and I like the two of them together. You know, they they were the freaking frat. They, they you know, they, they were the straight man to the wacky man. But yet they were the scientists trying to figure out how to save the world. Uh, and I liked them together. And then when they separated them in, the, in this movie, I was like figuring, okay, so this movie is going to figure out how to get them together. Oh, but wait, no, it's not going to happen. And he becomes this overlord who wants to open up the gap again and, and, and destroy Earth. Um, it was a, it's a B-movie trope. Uh, that's, it's just that silly B-movie trope in a, in a way to get that gap back, back open again. Um, you know, albeit it was only for know, a couple of minutes on screen time. So... And then when he gets taken out at the end, you know, I was like, what are they going to do with this character? Like, because he's doing something that's really inherently so bad, 
Like, if they extricate this being that's in him, this kaiju blood or whatever, the psychic connection that's in him, are they going to forgive him? Like, like is he like what happens? I guess we'll have to wait until the next Pacific Rim. That we will. That we will. As far as uh, sort of fan feedback, they do appreciate that his character. He was chastised for the fact that his Mandarin wasn't up to par. Yeah. So, you know what? Good for your bad Mandarin. Right. <laughs> but also, like, that was a running joke for his character throughout the whole movie as well. So I think, whatever. I could forget the bad Mandarin. Honestly, I could. Compared to him being an evil person that we're supposed to take seriously, I would take the bad Mandarin over that. Well, what I'm saying is as far as the bad Mandarin, it's just too many times in the past Americans have tried to do it. And it's right. been bad, and it's like, oh, your Mandarin's so good. Like, right. no, we're going to just call you out. You yeah. speak shit again. <laughs> so. um, okay, well, well, we'll return to that when we talk about the uh, final battle of everything. But uh, um, I want to get you guys' perspective on the Academy. And when we left, Marissa said this was kind of like uh, the, the Power Rangers in a sense. And there's been comparisons made to that, and so I want to let you speak to that what made you sort of pinpoint that initially well i think like the power rangers is, was like just a concept for those who don't know is they picked five random people to to help save the world and they all ended up being teenagers and it's and it felt like these teenagers were all just put together we don't know how they all came together but you can like assume that there was like some recruitment type sure. of program that they usually do for the military. Um, but the fact that like we're training teenagers and they don't get along, some of them get along, some of them don't. They're forced to be together to save the world. So like there are some aspects of that. And then also not to get ahead, but like even the humongous mega demon or mega monster it felt like a megazord like when things <laughs> when you take multiple different well in in robot and power rangers it's like when you take a lot of your different zords which are all different animal robots that can fight individually but when you put them together you get a bigger monster that can fight awesomeness right that's exactly what happened in this movie you put them all together and you got a bigger creature to fight Right, and so there was a lot of Power Ranger themes in this film as well. So you know, one thing that I wanted to bring up too, like I like the cast, right? And I liked, um, I liked the cadets. Uh, they weren't as characters; they didn't, they weren't annoying. And what what sort of kind of what what it made me think of is was uh, Independence Day Resurgence when we talked about that god-awful movie one of the things that was god-awful about it was the young cast they were just annoying as hell and they weren't terribly good and i couldn't i couldn't i had nothing to connect with any one of them and again that's a b-movie too a bad b-movie a sequel and i was thinking uh pacific room uprising at least they wrote and came up with good characters that in the end, I actually cared for whether or not they were going to make it through their battles, uh, which I was hoping I was rooting for them. And each one had their their particular, let's say, arcs. And um, I really enjoyed watching them as opposed to that other young cast, which I could have cared less <laughs> about. Mm-hmm. And also the thing, and not to keep making comparisons, but the independence resurgence, we still had that same storyline of, it's like, he's the son of the, the command right, exactly. major. Who, who had who the died. chip on his shoulder. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's like, it's, it's something we've seen time and time again. Right. Yeah, well, I could be like my father and make a big speech, but I'm not going to. <laughs> And then he makes a speech. speech. (laughs) Which was ironic. Yeah. Um, Okay. So let's talk about what everyone wants to talk about. It's why we went to see the movie. At least I did. And if you guys didn't, then I don't know what you want to see. The action scenes. Mm -hmm. I thought overall, to me, they worked all really well. I loved whether we're in, um, where did we go to? The, the, The ice... When we went to the ice thing and they fought on the ice. Right. Where was that? Um, I forget where that was. 
But anyway, whether it was that or the opening scenes, and certainly the last, as as um, slightly convoluted as it was of like, oh, this kaiju's just going to Mount Fuji to get minerals. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, okay, well, it's... We, I, I I loved the action set pieces in this, and I thought they all worked amazing, and I was just in awe of everything. I really like the action. I think the action definitely holds up in this movie, and that's I like the action more, surprisingly so, in this movie compared to the first one, because I could actually see it. All the ones in Guillermo's movies were all, all at night. It's, it was hard, and it was very stylistic, which was very done well in the first one. But like this one you could see everything. It was during the day and we'll get more into production of that too. But like you can see literally from like point A to point B to point C and all the in in all the scenes and how they got from here to there. And it it was fun throughout. And they like every action scene got bigger than the last one. Mm -hmm. Like a good action movie does. Yeah, I did not like the action scenes. I really did. I, I I disagree only I felt Pacific Rim, the stakes were higher. This one, we're going off of this premise that this this guy's taken over by an overlord. I've got to open up the... It was that silly way of opening up the, 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 the gap again and how are we going to close it and going up the mountain. But again, the way that they were filmed... Again, this was almost, it almost, this one did feel a little more global, as global as Pacific Rim was. Uh, So I did enjoy, well, and there was that twist too. I liked it when that rogue Jaeger came in Australia, right? That to me was a twist. It's like, oh, okay, what's going on here? And that set up a little bit of a mystery. Like, who's doing this? And you think it was that woman who set might have set this up. You don't know what's going on, and they're not fighting kaiju. They're fighting themselves. Like, they're fighting something that should be fighting kaiju. I thought that scene, to me, that was my favorite. Because, again, you had the helicopter crash. You had so much going on, and you had this really strong Jaeger that... They were trying to figure out how to right. how to put it down, and not just the rogue Jaeger, all the rogue drones, <clears throat> yeah. drones too, which were pretty cool because you're not expecting it. It's like, oh, we now we have hybrids. Crap! Right. <laughs> how do we deal with them? And they're they're taking out all the good guys, and like you don't expect that because there was a whole issue beforehand that they did actually set up for us. Like these drones will help us, where in the end it actually kicked them in the head. Right. right. <laughs> so like I did like the irony of that, but you're not expecting actual working hybrids. Yeah, it, it you, was, you only get one or the other. It, and when they were showing it, like, and again, I thought this was going to be, oh, the kaiju were back. Because you saw the thing in the water, but you, it, you know, it was still blurry underwater when it came up. Wait, what is, wait, a robot? What, a Jaeger? A Jaeger <laughs> and a robot. And I really liked, uh, I really liked that scene a lot and how it played out. And it it's was cool. a nice little simple twist. You know, our, the kaiju weren't as... Uh, let's just say developed, I felt, in this movie. Because in Pacific Rim, don't forget there was that one kaiju that could put out that, you know, electromagnetic pulse. Mm-hmm. And they had higher stakes uh, to go. But the kaiju in this movie were were just like, you know, Godzilla fighting Mothra or Gamera. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I liked all our different Jaegers. Uh, and I'm glad Gypsy was back. Because uh, mm-hmm. Gypsy's just cool. Um each and I loved how each Jaeger. It was the same in the first Pacific Rim. Had its had its own personality, um, not by not just by the two people who were driving the project or, or the, the Jaeger, but by its weaponry, by the way that it looked, um, the moves that it can make. And I liked how cinematically you're able to give uh, this mechanical thing a personality and not have it be a transformer. The, the, the Transformers are self-aware, so they have personality. How do you make this an animate object have a personality where you can see the differences on screen? And I think they always they did a good job in this well, one. Even, even I like Scrapper the was, was Scrapper had, had its own personality, but only because of the person who was who driving built, and well, built a, it. Who built it? Correct. As far as Scrapper, but yeah, certainly B who who. 
drove it at that yeah. point in time. Also, like, Scrapper just moved differently compared to all the other yeah. Jaegers because when we did all the production in the first one, like, these Jaegers are so big, it actually takes them a long time to make one giant movement. Oh, right. And, like, Scrapper was so small that it just... That's what I think people might think it feels like Transformers because it is a robot that moves really fast. Right. So, like, it, it looks different and it moves differently. It was given a personality by... Yeah. It's driver. Yeah. Well, as, as far as the differences between this one and, and the first one, just the aspect ratio itself, they they switched it up to a far more widescreen version, a t- 2.4 to 1, mm-hmm. which comparatively the first one was 1.85 to 1. And the reason for that, when you're, you know, they, they understood while Gearmore made the decision, when you're talking about seeing the height of these things, well, you need a little more headroom rather than with mm-hmm. and so you know they they were aware of that but they took that as a challenge of okay let's let's figure out still how to have the scale within the frame while having you know more on the width rather than the height right and as far as achieving that action wise i i thought it was really well done and it gave me a full scope of everything. I love seeing the buildings to the left or right or the mountains and so forth. The buildings and being, as you said too, filming in daylight brought a lot more scale um, to it. So particularly if you're going to go wider. So um, how do you how do you, how do you uh, showcase height? Well, when you're going wider, well, put scale into it. Put put in some buildings. Like that's how you. That's how they did it in the Godzilla movies. Well, we're gonna have the man in the rubber suit. Let's put in the buildings. We're gonna make the buildings a little bit smaller. <laughs> you know, he's got to look big and, and threatening. And being this one was mostly in the daytime, it makes sense how it was shot. And going wider, it makes it more. Well, it brings brings a new scope, which is what that is, scope and uh, epicness. Yeah, it was definitely epic on screen, and I just feel bad for all the people that had to deal, deal with all these <laughs> robots and Jaegers fighting each other. Like, all the buildings they destroyed. They, I mean, they demolished Sydney. And Mount Fiji, yeah. like, was... <laughs> were there any buildings left over when they no. went to Mount Fiji? Probably not. No. But, like, you definitely got the scopes of all the different big cities, and I like that. Yeah, I think Tokyo cool. took its lumps. Yeah. Again. Again. I mean, <laughs> but they well, it was evacuated, rebuilt. right? They said that. So No, it was evacuated, but there's a lot of rebuild that's going to Yeah, happen. there was a lot of rebuild. <laughs> oh, well. What are you going to do with those damn kaiju? Those kaiju. Um, the other aspect of it that I appreciate, like, the, when, you, when you talk about a movie like this, the symbiosis between production and post-production, they just have to be in sync, otherwise it doesn't work. Sure. From one to the other and back. And, you know, what, what I appreciate, you something like this, you kind of get to be a kid again, and they, they had all the action figures and so forth, and just mapping this whole thing out. And one of the things I do appreciate, like, when, when you talk about, I think the helicopter scene, as far as action and motion, is the most, um, uh, most well done. And... What I appreciate as far as the way they, they mapped all this out, they, they wanted to do it from a narrative perspective first and foremost rather than, okay, what would be uh-huh. cool to see, much like kind of what I think is what Transformers tries to do first and foremost. Sorry, Transformers. Sorry for people that like Transformers. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm not offended. I mean, I get it. Uh, you know, But again, what, what made that particular scene for me, made it work, at least for me, was to the editing because we saw the perspective. So we got to see from inside the helicopter and her looking at the face of the Jaeger, knowing that her brother was there. He, then we cut to him seeing his sister and the, the outreached arm and hand trying to catch her. It was edited really well to an emotional... You know, it had it, it had an emotional beat to it. It was done in slow motion, which it was an annoying slow motion. You're able to see what was going on, uh, and the look, like touching the, like you know, being trapped in that helicopter, knowing that she's gonna go down. Yeah, it just it was a it was a decent emotional beat that you don't always get. In, in these movies, uh, and I think that's why it just resonated, and I felt it was the best action scene, just from um, performance, 
from a technical standpoint and from an editing standpoint, direction standpoint, knowing what perspective we were getting as this was all happening, it was just done very well. Mm -hmm. I agree. And then, like, the whole death scene is probably the most uh, humane scene out of all the actions. Like, you you got that moment where it actually evoked an emotion. And that's why I felt like this movie was lighter than the first one because the first one, like, the, the best way that... The, the pilots connected was through emotional memories. Right. And we got that every single time. And just with the cinematography in the first one, you saw all of Ma- Mako, Mako's background Mako, when mm-hmm. she first, when she was a kid, and first got attacked by the, the by the monsters. And her how shoe. It, how, and, yeah, uh, de- demolished her, her family and her life. And mm-hmm. it's like, like there was an emotional, you know, grounding uh, of a storyline, sure. and like this was probably the most emotional moment in the movie. Right, for I this agree. One. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Um, and as far as the final scene, what made that work? We we kind of pared down the characters a lot. Yes. you know, quite literally. But uh, Amora and and Jake, I appreciate their bond, and as as much as Eastwood and Jake were able to reconnect. <clears throat> The fact that you could see, like, Jake was going to try to do this Jaeger thing all by himself again. But it's like, nope, I'm going to I'm gonna help you. And it's just it's, that part of it worked. And the only thing being of it is I think they were separated for far too long in the movie. Yeah. They had their moments. But if, if they kind of developed that a little bit more, then I think it would even had a bigger impact similar to the earlier Australia scene. Yeah, and I was wondering... How soon they were going to like, it's like, okay, they're setting this up because there's a a brother-sisterly kind of relationship, right, between Jake and Amara, I felt. And I was like, okay, how are they going to, like, how are we going to figure this out with Scott Eastwood's character? Because somehow they got to get that girl into the Jaeger to fight. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and they didn't kill him off, thankfully. Um, you know, none of the cadets. Uh, I, I think one of them. One, did of, them one of them. I forget which one now. Um, the poor one that the died. Poor one. The poor. The, <laughs> the poor sad one. The soul. Oh, was it the one that was that got injured when they were? Okay, so they could have easily gotten rid of this the the Eastwood character, but they didn't. But I like how hey, we had a good moment. We had to yes, had a good moment. Get him out, bring him in, and then you're like off to the races. And these two are compatible. And again, it it, it strengthened that bond because I really felt that there there was a chemistry between those two actors. I think that uh, there there was definitely that brotherly sister that that brother sister thing going on. And then when they defeated the kaiju, I like I love the whole banter on. The, like the snow. Oh, it's snowing out. That's what you're looking at yeah. <laughs> when there's a thing over there. She goes, yeah, I've never seen snow before. <laughs> you know, and they got a snowball. I, I like that. It was good banter. And they didn't forget about Lambert, right? Yes. You, you mm-hmm. kind of think, oh, okay, everything's over. But then, boom, there he is, ready to hit Charlie Day. Yep. Yeah, that that was a great moment. And, and, and I liked that, like, that was, an, in a way, the most humane way to take down the, the quote-unquote evil baddie in, in this movie is just a simple punch from human <laughs> to human, not from monster to monster. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, what, what I appreciate is, uh, as far as whatever, there was a lot of companies that went into this, whether it was just even the pre let alone the actual Jaegers, but there was a sentiment very much so of, Listen, we got the budget, and we know it's a pretty tight budget, but we're going to stretch it as far as we can. We're going to we're going to use up every penny and do what we need to do. And I I really can see this. I I, I applaud them, as you guys said, having daylight because so many movies that rely on visual effects they'll hide it behind just darkness and shadows because that seems right. easier. And so to have the gumption to just go pretty much almost full daylight. I like that because I could, as Marissa pointed out, I could see, I could, I could 
visualize it. Yeah. Yeah, and also you just get a visual scope of where you are in the fight because there was right. a moment when they were at Mount Fuji and destroying all the buildings where there's this one long tracking shot and it's going from Jagger to Jagger mm-hmm. here and there, but like <clears throat> you literally got a scope of where everyone physically is. True. And just the, the distance between them and how close this fight were, right. was. Um, and I did like that because I feel in the first Pacific Rim, they were miles apart from each other but they would run towards each other just right. for like one or two hits uh, but it gave it like more spread throughout throughout each fight and this one was like really up close and personal yeah and they did make it a point this is 10 years after pacific rim uh, and the design of the jaeger has changed so much they're they're more agile they can run a little bit faster um they could do more things, so to speak. So, yeah, I bought all into that and, and being able to see these things and how they worked. Uh, it, it was as That was as fun as, you know, learning about what Jaegers can do, like from the first Pacific Rim. Like, you know, you, once you understand the link and the connection, then you then you you buy into it going into this next story. So you don't get that re it's not like a re-education in a sense. You're already into it, and then you get this one Jaeger that needs three people to pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a pretty cool Jaeger, too. I like so. that. There were some callback moments to the first one that <clears throat> had to re-educate the audience. Like, oh, yeah, neural handshake. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think we only got one, maybe two in this, and then the whole drifting. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. there is an actual term for this yeah. when they're drifting manually. Mentally compatible. Sure. Like, I like that. But even though if you're only seeing the second movie before you saw the first one, you can still understand what they're doing. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in a way, this movie still is yeah. self-contained. It's very self-contained. I mean, and it does make a point. It says this takes place 10 years after. If you never saw Pacific Rim, you're put right into the story. It's easy to understand. Um, you know, just because they're bringing... I mean, let, let, let's look at it. They're only technically three characters who were in the original that come back for this yeah. one, right? They so, didn't yeah. want Charlie Hunnam originally, yeah. but Which, he was he couldn't because of other scheduling conflicts. Yeah. And I was wondering, how were they going to write him out? <laughs> because he was integral. You figured he'd be back. Well, there was but, an actual original yeah. script that had his character yeah. come back, and but because Charlie Hunnam took on another passion project, too, they wrote another script that ended up being this one. Yeah, and I sort of kind of get that 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 Nate might have been that Charlie Hunnam character, like, and I'm they just reworked bit. him um, yeah. to be Nate instead of uh, what, possibly. I'd be interested to see. Also, Stephen Denight did say that there is a version out there in the world of he has a, like a, a good moment that's already written out. Um, that introduces Charlie Hunnam's character back into mm, the, the quote-unquote franchise. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're already thinking and planning on his return. And and the thing is, too, I liked Scott Eastwood. But, man, you know, he won the... I mean, he looks so much like, like his, his father. It's, yeah. it's just... It's sickening. Like, it's like you... Imagine you that. A son who looks like his father. But so much like his dad. Like, from a profile, they could use him to do that digital work to replace. Like, from a profile standard and from even the, the, the way he scowls and squints. It's like, you know, you you suck. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, really? Like, you look, you look. Yes, there are family resemblances all over, right? I mean, was, but this one is almost like he was almost a clone. So you're saying For, you're jealous. Yeah, <laughs> jealous. Jesus Christ, you know. And he's got this, you know, he's getting a decent career. He's not. And again, I wonder, is he falling under the shadow of his dad? I don't know, probably to some extent, but he's still mapping out his own career. He's doing pretty good. I liked him in this movie. It's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's say, like, hey, more Eastwood. Okay. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think of the score on this? I mean, it was fun. It was bombastic at, at some points, mostly during the, the fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's not as, admittedly, it's not as memorable as the, the first soundtrack. But, when, you know, we've talked about action movies when the music is, like, way too 
like in your face. Yes, I mean Hans Zimmer does that every once in a while, <laughs> but like I, I liked it because it was still fun. It's still like transformative in a way, and but like it's it's memorable in, in some points. I think the most I remembered it was Mount um, Fiji. When all the buildings are literally getting collapsed and you just hear music. Yeah, it, it, well, I think this one, and again, I haven't re- I haven't listened to the original Pacific Rim score in a while, but this one relied a lot on electric. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was that it was that uh, blending of orchestra with a lot of electronic stuff. That's what I noticed on this one, and I, maybe it was just me. Um, it wasn't until like towards the end that you had the Pacific Rim Jaeger key, the refrain, the da 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 da, which was the heroic theme in the original one. It they didn't overuse it, or they barely used it. I felt I didn't he- really hear it until the end credits a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how about you? Uh, it's tough to compare because I yeah I haven't uh, heard the old one and. Since the old one, really, uh, but but as far as you know, it working for the movie, I thought it worked well, and just in general, the the mixing of everything. It, it, when we talk about that scale, sound had a very big part to do Absolutely. with it. Whether it was you know feeling the air vibrations of something falling down, something moving, something cracking on ice, or even on just gravel. So it all played into it. And, uh, very well done as far as Foley and the music, and it, it just it had a rhythm that I appreciated. Yeah, and it and it made my heart. I, I'm I'm more aware now of my breathing in movies, and I was definitely tense during the action scenes. Yeah. It well, the sound design and editing were, were fantastic. I, I saw this in an XD screen, which is a premium, um, large format. Uh, screen and it had the the, the 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 eleven speakers on the ceiling and then you're surrounded by the speakers that brought everything to life uh, you know very well particularly for this movie this is a movie again you know uh, uh, I will argue uh, it's not meant to be watched on on an iPad uh, you know unless it's a multiple viewing and you own it. But if you're really going to get into this kind of a movie, you have to see this at a movie theater to get that experience. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that rumble in your stomach when they're fighting and, mm. you know, the roar of the kaiju. Uh, that's that's what that, that's why the movies exist, is to have that, you know. And I get, eh, if I'm going to see it for a fourth time, a third time, uh, if I'm on a plane, this works fine. But that movie was not made for this screen. No. Nor that screen. He, as he points to an iPhone. An iPhone, yes. <clears throat> speaking of speaking of the theater experience, let's talk pure numbers as far as box office. Finally, a movie dethroned the behemoth that was Black Panther, although it came in second, right? <laughs> Six weeks after. <laughs> Six weeks after. Right. Uh, other movies that came out that weekend, Sherlock Gnomes, Unsane, Paul the Apostle, and Midnight Sun. So, you know, not not too much competition there uh, the only sort of thing that's so much similar is tomb raider although that's it's still it's action-y, kind of but action yeah um but overall you know it grossed o- opening weekend it ended up with um where is it 28.1 28.1 which yeah. they predicted anywhere between 22 and 29 so right in that range overall though as you, as you pointed out at the beginning it's it was really more about the foreign box office. Yeah, yeah. And it always is going to be. I mean, for it's going to kill internationally, and it's a it's a global themed movie. We have different nationalities in the cast and the crew alone just making this movie, and you, you see like Japan coming together with the Americans, Germany coming all together. It's right. like all these different countries are literally unifying itself to fight right. um, as a global. Epic and I'm like and I'm glad because you know kaiju's are bigger in Asia sure. than they are America. Absolutely. You know you always see them. I mean, hello Godzilla. So it makes sense it would be bigger internationally. Yeah, and I think too it's what I said last last week when we were talking to Murder. You know, I think we should slowly start changing the the, the mindset of just domestic. Okay, because if you do that, 
you're going to be very depressed, you know, as as a business and as and as with how the news pushes it out, because you'll look at it and say Pacific Rim Uprising uh, has only made thirty six point four million dollars thus far as of today. Right. That's a very depressing number. You know, particularly since you put in 150 million in a production, right? But when you add in that global, that foreign, thus far it's done 122.4 million dollars globally. That that international business, right? So all in, we're at 158 globally. That's not a bad number. That's not terrible, you know. And and it just really proves that. Movies are appreciated and enjoyed on a global scale. I do believe like it's an amazing import that we have to give to audiences all around the world that people appreciate what we can release here from the States. And people like it. I mean, that's 77% of the gross. 77. That's, that's a big chunk. So... If we start to change the mindset a little bit and we get out of this domestic, maybe we can look more positively as to how a movie can perform and who who the movie is actually really entertaining. Over here, people want to become cynical about going to the movies. And that's what you read about in The Hollywood Reporter, in Deadline, in Variety. You read about box office numbers and people are changing because they're so fragmented but internationally, there's hope. They're not as fragmented as we are. Granted, some companies may not have the technology, but certainly China or Japan does, right? Mm-hmm. So I just like to start. I, I'm looking more at those international numbers, trying to find the positive. Like, granted, 34 here is not great, or 36, but I think globally... That's well, not I, bad. It's on its way. For me, I'm an idealist, and I would like to see both. You know, I'm glad for the international, but at the same time, I, I'd like to see a reflection of that in the U.S. I it would love to, it's... too, Phil. You know, um, there's no bigger champion for the movie-going experience. You know, and and I would love to see people, like, spread their wings and maybe not go to, like, you're always going to go to superhero movies, but there's more out there. And those movies, guess what? They're fun. Yeah. Maybe maybe they don't have all your superheroes in there. And I'm not going to say I'm going to hate Infinity War. I'll probably love it. But there are other fun movies to go to as well. Spread your wings. Open up your mind. Just go have a good time. And I think also that could be a factor. What domestic may not be doing as well is just franchise fatigue. We had... Mm. Five, six Transformers now? I don't know how many. And, like, so many Marvel movies. It's just... This, honestly, feels just like another action movie that feels like they only made just for money, unfortunately. Sometimes I feel like watching this, I was like, yeah, this is just another action movie to get people to buy box office tickets. But any sequel is made to make more money. When you look at a sequel... You know, and I got nothing against, you know, the Marvel movies. Uh, they've done a fantastic job, right? But there's more out there than the superhero movie. We talked about it with Tomb Raider. I'm talking about it with Pacific Room Uprising. Uh, we'll talk about it in depth some more with Ready Player One. Uh, again, not a superhero movie. But there is fun to be had if you go to the movies and, and just not no. it being a superhero movie. Granted, they make a ton of money. But let's not be focused on movies that make just a billion dollars. Because I know dollar signs in this business. I get it. But we should also focus on these. Well, this, it's hard to call this a mid-movie when it costs $150 million, But it's not a superhero movie. And let's focus what it does. If it is a B-movie, then it's very apropos that its cinema score is also a B. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. It is indeed a B movie. <laughs> Great segue. I love that. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, I I would give it a B plus. Well, for what it is, for what it's trying to achieve, I you know, I, I take things for what they are, and I try not to judge it against anything else. I I would say it's more of a B plus. You know, B plus. Yeah, sure. Uh, anyway, I would like to see. I think they did set up a fun little ending to it and they're you know if if they do 
succeed with this one. There, of course, will be the third one where we go into the monster verse, and I could, I, I think that could be a lot of fun. And I, I, you know, whether it is, I, I'm hoping only for a trilogy. I just want to see that third one, which I know, if we're gonna make, going back to the Marissa comparison, and it's they, and then Independence Day resurgence, they kind of did that of like, now we're coming to you. Mm-hmm. But hey, we're never. Not? Thankfully, like, I don't think they go get into the gap. That would be right. fun. I would much rather see the Pacific Rim third movie than I would an Independence Day third movie after that god-awful <laughs> excuse of a sequel. I don't disagree. Well, <laughs> so. you might at home, you might uh, uh, disagree or agree with us. Either way, please do comment. Let us know what your opinion is on this movie. After all, we get the conversation going, but by no means is it over that's the beauty of doing so many movies. The conversation just continues and continues. And even for all the 400 movies we've covered, we sometimes go back into the comments as you guys see them years later or whatever. You guys find us and enjoy our episodes. So. And watch our interview. We had a great interview. Absolutely. Right? Nick, Tarabay. Nick Tarabay. Absolutely. In the meantime, unfortunately, there's no cake. There's no anything <laughs> special beyond just us doing our amazing show as we do but this has been our 400th does Thank- this mean we go into syndication I think we've already been in syndication oh, fair, on enough. <laughs> fair enough uh, in the meantime you can show your support and thanks for 400 to at Serafini TV for Marissa right at Movies 1701 for Dimitri please do please support me on Twitter That believe it or not that is not the year he was born <laughs> you son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at Phil Street Tech thank you guys as always for joining us shout out to Bonjour Julia in the booth for engineering us and 400. to another 400 to go after that I retire <laughs> bye from producers Maria Menounos Kevin Undergaro Phil Svitek and the entire Popcorn Talk Network we would like to thank you for tuning in For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.